Welcome to the Benzo Free Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzo Free, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side. Hello there, this is Dee, and welcome to episode 58 of the Benzo Free Podcast. How are you doing today? I don't think I asked that in the last couple of episodes, and I wanted to get back to it. One of you wrote me a little while back that when she listened to the podcast, it felt like I was talking directly to her, and I loved that, because that's how it felt to me, too. Benzodependence and withdrawal is very intimate and and a personal struggle. I mean, come on, I've shared with you my trials with memory loss, cognitive dysfunction, muscle tremors, ecclesia, digestive issues, <laughs> anger and rage, incontinence, and even sexual dysfunction, among so many other things that you never really wanted to know about. <laughs> but many of you have shared back um, with your own personal struggles, and I thank you for that. Through this, I feel I know you, and I I hope you feel you know me a little bit better, too. And I'm doing well, you know, for the most part. Shanna and I are back in a routine after the holidays shook up everything, but I'm, I'm still pretty overwhelmed. Part of that is the protracted withdrawal talking, and, and I try and manage my overreaction, sometimes successfully, sometimes not so much. Bear is doing well, our dog. He's still in remission. Many of you know he was diagnosed with lymphoma in October of last year, and he is, he is still with us and doing well, and that is a true blessing. And life is good, like I said, for the most part. <laughs> you know the battle of benzodependence and withdrawal can be an epic one. And no one should have to go through it alone. No one. And that's why we do this. God, you know, it's funny. Someone said to me a little while ago that I was meant to do what I am doing. And that felt really good. But it also made me cringe a little bit. I am always second-guessing myself here. Since we just celebrated our one-year anniversary of the podcast, I I took a look back at our very first episode the other day from February 20th, 2019. In the introduction on that episode, I said I've never produced nor hosted a podcast, as you probably can tell, and that I promise I will get better as I go. And maybe I have. And then again, (laughs) I don't know. I know I make a lot of mistakes on this podcast, and sometimes you call me on them, and I want to thank you for that. I really do. And sometimes... I know things didn't go so well by your silence, and that's okay too. In fact, I think last week's episode might be one of the latter. (laughs) Come on, I think we all kind of felt that, and that's okay. There are going to be episodes that just don't work as well, 
as some of the others, even some which may fall completely flat. The thing I learned along the way, especially with this podcast, is that I'm okay with making mistakes. I am going to screw up over and over again if I have to. That's how I learn. I am still a newbie in this job. This is my very first podcast, and I'm only 12 months into it. There are so many people out there who are so much better at this than I am, and I'm going to try to learn from them. I, I still don't know what is going to work each week and what is not, so I try things and I experiment. Things I read one day in an article, things I thought of in the shower the next morning, and more often than not, things you suggested in your emails and comments. A source doesn't matter. What matters is that we just keep trying to get better. One of the areas where I struggle with the most on the podcast is balancing honesty and positivity at the same time. This is a topic we've talked about a bit in the blog and podcast of late. I am now 66 months benzo-free this month, five and a half years, and I still have symptoms. I do. And I still have bad days. Days when I can't think straight, days when I get overwhelmed or have an anxiety attack, days when I get down on myself, days when I just want to crawl back in bed and weep, although those are rare these days. But they do happen on occasion. God, I, I wish I could say that was not the case, but I won't lie here. I just can't do that with you. I am not fully healed. There, I said it. I know so many people who are, and I still believe I may be one day. And it's probably taking me a lot longer than most because I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I'm an extreme case. I am not fully healed, and I'm sorry. I, I feel a bit like I'm letting you down. In fact, each time I say that, I always put this positive spin on it and follow it up with three words, which is, but I'm happy. <laughs> and I am. I really am. On the podcast, I walk this fine line, as I've said a few times before. I'm not just a benzo survivor struggling with protracted withdrawal. I'm also a benzo advocate, and I wrote a book and host a podcast on this subject. So I choose to put myself out there as an example of, well, success. <laughs> and I can't do that very well if I haven't reached success. Now, can I? <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. I truly believe I am still healing, and I am much better than I was. And I know plenty of people who have fully healed from this, even some after 10 years. And I hope that will be me. But for now, I still have bad days, and sometimes I want to share them with you. Because they connect us, even if it's not exactly what you want to hear. But I also want to balance this out with plenty of positivity, so I try to add things, you know, like that smile section, which may have been a wrong turn. <laughs> I'm not sure yet. But, you know, why am I talking about this with you today? Isn't that the question I always ask after I ramble on a bit in these introductions? But I think it comes down to this. This method of learning I use on the podcast is the same method I use to learn how to withdraw from benzos. And maybe it might help some of you too. And that is simply this. 
be willing to make mistakes. Good old trial and error. You can't avoid them. They're going to happen. So be willing to make them and accept them as they do. Yes, we have the Ashton Manual. Yes, we have a lot of support groups on the web. But still, finding what works for you specifically during benzo withdrawal is hard. And there is no clear-cut plan. So we fall back on good old trial and error. Be willing to make mistakes. Learn from them. Don't dwell on them. That gets you nowhere. Instead, take your lessons and move on to the next thing. You know, the longer I've lived, the more I believe that there just might be a plan out there. Someone or something steering this ship through these treacherous waters that we face. And if there is, then maybe all this happened for a reason. You know, perhaps that doesn't speak to you, and that's okay. It doesn't always speak to me either, but for now, it's kind of where I'm at. But thinking there is a reason that I went through this kind of takes the load off, you know? When we stop blaming everyone in the world for what happened to us, including ourselves, and we just see things as if they were supposed to happen, it all gets a little bit simpler. You know, perhaps for some reason beyond my comprehension, this plan was something that I was predestined to follow. Whether I like it or not, maybe someone or some force needed me to become dependent on these drugs, go through the harrowing ordeal of withdrawal, and not only come out the other side benzo-free, but also to continue to have symptoms several years following so that I can better relate to others in a similar situation. Because if I didn't still have symptoms, then all of this would be from memory. And as you know, my memory just ain't what it used to be. But even more so, sharing things from our past just isn't the same as living them in the now. So perhaps I still have symptoms five and a half years out for a reason. And, and when I think of it that way, I almost tear up as if this whole thing may have just been worth it. I don't know. I really don't. But it's a lovely thought and it, and it does help me get through some of the tougher days. If you believe in a supreme being, perhaps you can relate. If not, this may all sound completely ridiculous to you, like wishful thinking, and I don't blame you. But for me, I think it means something. And it makes what I do here work. And it helps me be able to say to you each and every week that I am happy. Because I am. It is what it is, right? Our format today will return to our previous lineup. No smile section today. We'll have our introduction, mailbag, benzo story, feature, and our moment of peace. Today's feature is 7 Tips for Talking About Benzos. I hope you like it. 
And before we move on, don't forget we need your help. We need feedback of any kind. We truly want to hear from you. You can provide feedback in four ways. Comment directly on one of our podcasts or blog posts so others can see. Fill out our feedback form at benzofree.org feedback. Email us at podcast at benzofree.org or leave feedback on one of our podcast carriers so others can find us. While you're on the website, don't forget to sign up for our mailing list at benzofree.org subscribe. And if you wish to help support what we do here, please visit our donations page at benzofree.org donate. Trust me, every little bit helps. And don't forget the Benzofree podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. Now let's take a look inside our mailbag. Today we have just one comment in our mailbag, and this is from Beatrice in Switzerland. Many of you know Beatrice. She has been a supporter of Benzofree all the way back to the very beginning when I first published my book. We have had some amazing conversation via emails over the years, shared pictures of our pets and family, and became good friends. Beatrice posted the following comment on our blog post, Finding Peace of Mind in Benzo Withdrawal which was about finding a path to positive thinking during such a troubling time. And I thought her comments were poignant enough that I wanted to share them here on the podcast. Beatrice writes, Dear D, what an interesting post. It would be nice hearing more of this topic. I realize more and more that it is a decision to accept all the things that happened in my life a decision to turn my thoughts and feeling towards a forgiving, thankful direction. In withdrawal, we really are looking at everything through these very dark glasses. As recovery is moving on, lots and lots of positive healing souvenirs are rising up from the mud. I often said to myself, these negative thoughts are wrong, really wrong. But I have to decide towards which side I turn my head, which things I want to remember of my past life, and specifically, how I will write my curriculum vitae in future. I found in the Bible such a wonderful picture. God, male aspect, is dancing with wisdom, female aspect, for creating the world in its whole, dancing life rather than fighting life. A strong picture. Love from Switzerland, Beatrice. I loved what Beatrice shared in her comment, especially when she said looking at everything through dark glasses and that we have to decide toward which side we turn our head. While it's not easy, perhaps it really is that simple. In the end, it's a choice dancing with life rather than fighting it. Thank you, Beatrice, for the wonderful comment and for all the support over the years. And if you have a question or comment you'd like to share, please just send it to us on our feedback form at benzofree.org feedback. Thanks. Now let's move on to our Benzo story. Our story today is from Denise in Silver City, New Mexico. Denise and I started corresponding back in November of last year. She has shared some wonderful information with me about Yoga Nidra, CBD, and many other treatment options she has worked with during her withdrawal. 
I will share some more about these in an upcoming podcast, but for today, I want to focus on Denise's story. Before I do, though, I do need to remind people that benzo stories can be a trigger for some who are sensitive to hearing stories of recovery and withdrawal. If this is you, you might want to skip this story today. You can always find section times in our episode index at the top of our show notes if you wish to do so. But for the rest of us, this is a good story and one I am proud to share. Let's hear from Denise. Hi, Dee. I'm sure happy I discovered Benzo Free. I linked to you via a Facebook post by Dr. Huff sharing her conversation with you on your podcast. Like many others, Benzodiazepine Information Coalition and Benzo Buddies have been a real lifesaver for me. I'm now reading your book, which I love, especially your humor and the amount of research you've done. I was prescribed clonopin in early 2016 by my primary care doc for severe urethral pain and the anxiety I was experiencing because of my pain. Like you, I didn't know that clonopin was a benzo until I was already dependent. My doctor said it was a muscle relaxer. It's taken over three years, many doctors, and quite a bit of suffering to finally get a proper diagnosis, pelvic floor dysfunction. So the benzo helped initially, but as time went on, my pain worsened. As is typical with so many of us, my doctor didn't tell me this medication was physically addictive. So at times, I would go several days without taking it and would get sick. It took my husband and I a year and many unnecessary doctor visits and tests to make the connection. I was on a business trip with him and became very sick. Before I went to bed, I asked my spirit helpers to help us understand why. In the morning, I jumped out of the bed and said to my husband, It's that medicine. He suggested I take one and see what happens. Well, guess what? Within 45 minutes, I felt great. My sickness was gone. Now began my endless researching about this medication. My heart sunk. I'm addicted to a benzodiazepine. What will I do? When we got home, I went to my doctor to tell him what we discovered. He said I wasn't addicted. I was taking a very small dose and could stop it any time. It's your anxiety that's making you sick. In other words, it's all in your head. I knew better from my endless research. So I began a taper protocol I learned from the internet, which was way too fast, and I reinstated at twice the dose I was originally prescribed. This doctor is our next-door neighbor and has been a family friend for many years. I trusted him, but he had no idea what this drug had done to me and to this day still doesn't believe me. To say the least, our relationship is very strained in all respects. I now work with a medication specialist who transitioned me to Valium. It's taken almost a year for me to go from 5 milligrams to 2 milligrams, and it's been quite a struggle. She says I programmed my body for withdrawal because I tapered too fast initially. Sadly, I updosed in July because I was having many seizures and ended up in the ER. I'm now back to just below 2 milligrams. 
I'm liquid micro-tapering at 5% every two weeks. At this rate, it's going to take another year to be benzo-free. I have a very supportive husband. He read the chapter that your wife wrote in your book. I look forward to listening to your podcast. Your meditation at the end is great. I practice a guided yoga nidra meditation. It's a sleep-based meditation, and it's pretty amazing to help with sleep issues. I also hike when I can and do my pelvic floor exercises stretches every day. You are very appreciated. Blessings, Denise. Denise's story is like so many others. Prescribed the benzo without knowing anything about possible dependence. Unable to find help to withdraw from the medication. And having a wonderful supportive partner to help her through this. Now, Denise did use the term addiction a couple times in her email, and we know here that dependence is more likely the proper term and probably what she was dealing with. So I just wanted to make that quick correction. I could relate a lot to what Denise went through, and I'm so sorry that she had to experience it. As many of you know, I too suffered from complications with pelvic floor dysfunction during withdrawal and still do. It's one of those lingering symptoms that we all love. Thankfully, Denise did find someone to help her with a slow taper and has found the added benefits of yoga and stretching. Denise speaks of yoga nidra, which has been found to be beneficial for many with insomnia and anxiety. I utilize variations of yoga throughout my withdrawal, and I'm not sure I would have made it without that practice. I am very grateful to Denise for sharing her story with us today, and I hope she keeps us updated with her progress. Take care. And yes, we still need stories, so please send them in when and if you'd like to share. Let's move on to our feature. Our feature today is on talking about benzos with doctors, therapists, family, friends, colleagues, you name it. This is another topic which came directly from you. Thanks for that. In fact, I want to open today's feature with a couple of the comments which triggered this topic. The first one is from Bernadette in Riverside, California. Bernadette writes, How do you suggest talking with family? I need support and need my family, and they don't believe me. Please, do a podcast on this. I need hope. So many of us feel so alone in this journey through dependence and withdrawal. I, I had the undying love and support of my wife, Shanna, and our families on both sides, but not everyone is that blessed. Bernadette is feeling pretty low, and I sure wish I could help her through this. It is so hard. I wrote back to Bernadette with some suggestions, but I hope today's podcast might provide a few more tips that she might find helpful. Please keep writing, Bernadette. I'm here if you need me. Our second comment that helped to feed today's topic is from Jeannie in Seattle, Washington. Jeannie wrote, Hi, Dee. Here is a suggestion for a podcast topic. How to interview for a CBT therapist. Personally, I struggle with communication. Therefore, it is hard for me to ask other professionals for help. I really would like to get into therapy to help me cope with withdrawal. I've called and emailed about half a dozen people in my area about CBT, but I get bland responses typically. I realize you know CBT is important for this process. Do you, do you have any advice for me? 
Thanks, Jeannie. Jeannie brings up another excellent piece of this puzzle, and I replied back to her with some feedback that I hope was helpful. But her email also helped trigger this general topic today. Thanks for the question, Jeannie. Some of you have sent in other comments on this topic, but those two are enough just to get us started. So let's dive into this. Communication, even though that was my official degree in college, actually mass communication like video and film, I still fail at it all the time. We all do, to be honest. We all fail at communicating every single day. I'm, I'm a talker. Big surprise there, right? And I have some extroverted tendencies. Another big surprise, I'm sure. Actually, I always thought of myself as an extrovert. Until a counselor only a few years ago, while I was going through withdrawal, said I was an introvert. She surprised me with this, and I was skeptical, to say the least. But then she asked me one question, and that was, where do you recharge? When you are completely fatigued mentally and emotionally, where do you go to to recharge? And the answer was simple. I, I need to be by myself. When I am wiped out, I need calm. I need quiet to regroup and think, especially during benzo withdrawal. And she said that was my answer. She said I was an introvert, but with some strong extroverted tendencies. Well, that sounded a bit to me like maybe she was stretching it, but it also kind of made sense. I can speak in front of a thousand people and barely break a sweat, and I love it. But after that, after talking with everyone after the event, I need to return to my room and lie on my bed and, and just rest and have some quiet. I'm, I'm wiped out after that. Anyway, back to the subject at hand, I have strong extroverted tendencies, as my counselor said, so talking to people comes easily for me. But that is not the case for some of you. In fact, I dare say probably not for most of you. And that makes this whole communication thing hard, especially while you're carrying the burden of withdrawal on your backs. Thus, many need help in getting their points across to doctors, therapists, and friends, and family. And that is what our feature is about today. One of the best things about learning how to communicate with others about benzos is that there's a lot of information out there. And we've listed some of the critical ones here on the show notes of this podcast. Now, most of these organizations that post this information, we agree on the main points, but not always. But that's why it is so important, in my opinion, for you to get your information from multiple sources. Not just benzo-free, not just some other location, but to pull it from different places because there are different opinions out there. And then make up your own mind what is best for you. Remember, everything I provide on our website and podcast is just my opinion. Based on research I have done, but still opinion. So it's important to get your information from more than one source. I have put links to all the reference articles, handouts, and brochures that I've referenced in today's episode at the top of our show notes so they are easy to find. Please, check them out and learn more. Now, there are three groups of people that might be our audience for these tips. The doctors or other medical specialists, therapists, counselors, or other mental health professionals, and of course, family, friends, bosses, other people in your personal life. And most of our tips will be addressing all three groups, but some are more directed towards one or the other. 
Let's get started. Number one, be respectful. And this is for all people you're talking to, doctors, therapists, and people in your personal life. First and foremost, above all else, be respectful. And that includes being nice, honest, and even friendly. Respect means treating others as you would like to be treated, as if they are a valued human being and that you care enough to treat them as such. If you are already angry or resentful before you even start the conversation, it shows. Trust me, it shows. And the other person is already on edge because of it. And your chances of success diminish rapidly. Being respectful to others is just a good rule for life. And be grateful. Even if your family doesn't believe you at first, be grateful for the help they do give you. Even if your doctor doesn't believe that you should taper initially, but will work with you anyway, be grateful for that. You need support now more than any other time in your life. So why push people away? Number two, find a doctor or therapist you like. Find one you are comfortable with and who will work with you. You may notice that I didn't start out this tip with one who is benzo-wise. Being benzo-wise is helpful, but in my opinion, not as helpful as finding one you like. By that I mean one who you can trust, who you feel comfortable with, who will listen to you, and who is willing to work with you toward your goal of being benzo-free, if that is what you choose. The doctor who got me through my taper was amazing. And yet, he didn't believe I needed to withdraw. But when I told him I still wanted to, he was willing to work with me. And it worked out beautifully. I couldn't have asked for a better medical partner for this process. And I'm so glad I didn't try to go it alone without medical support. After that, I've had a few doctors along the way, and I've educated a few of them on benzos and my condition. And they worked with me. And many even changed their prescribing practices because I was their patient. And they saw what I was going through. As I was writing the script for this episode of the podcast, I reached out to Stephen Wright to see if he might want to add something. He graciously agreed, and I wanted to include it here. Now, in case you haven't listened to episodes 21 or 22 of the podcast, Dialogue with a Doctor, Conversation with Dr. Stephen Wright, you may not know the good doctor. Dr. Wright is board certified in medical pain management and now speaks around the world on opioids and benzodiazepines. He is also the medical advisor for the Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices. This is what Steve wanted me to share with you about this topic. Someone once told me we have a choice. We can choose to be right or we can choose to be happy. This might be apropos in discussing benzodiazepines with your prescribers. The goal in those discussions is not to prove you are absolutely right, but to have the prescriber consider the possibility your experience is true. It is true, but your experience may sound quite bizarre and not match your prescriber's understanding about benzos or what she or he may have heard from others. 
first out of the box is to engage a prescriber who listens. Next, a prescriber willing to learn because each benzo experience is different. Then, to get to the next appointment as a team with an agreed-upon plan. Benzo-wise would be great, but is not the first on the list. And Benzo-bright might be too much to ask. Happiness can be a treatment team not as knowledgeable as you, but open to a learning curve on a path you have already trudged. Thanks for that, Steve. I could not have said it better. Finding a benzo-wise or even benzo-aware doctor is hard, and many will not be able to find one. That is a reason why I don't put a lot of emphasis on that requirement. Yes, it would be really nice if you had a doctor who knows about benzos and knows how to withdraw properly. But they are difficult to find. That's why I put more emphasis on finding a medical professional who will work with you to achieve a goal you have chosen for yourself. And the same goes for counselors and therapists, if not even more so. Finding a doc with the proper knowledge is hard, but finding a therapist with knowledge about benzodiazepine withdrawal can be even harder. CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, can be helpful to some during withdrawal. As Jeannie mentioned in her comment earlier, it helped me and it helped many others I know. But finding the right therapist can be difficult, if not harder than finding the right doc. While looking for one trained in CBT or any other technique you might be interested in, while that may be important, I first want to focus on one I feel comfortable with. No therapist is going to be able to help you if you're not comfortable with them and don't trust them. It just doesn't work. And also, don't just go find one and keep going if you don't find that comfortability that you need. If it's not right, find a new one. I know it's not easy to keep looking, and it's not easy to ask them the questions you need. But it's worth it to get that done initially so that you find one you are comfortable with, one you can trust, and one you can work with. One thing I have found helpful, though, with a good counselor, is to find one who not only makes you feel comfortable and you can trust in, but also who challenges you to change. I have had experience with counselors who are quite content to have you come in each week, pay your fee, and just listen, never giving any real constructive advice. And it's not until a year later that you realize you are no better off than when you started. Find someone who challenges you to improve. You're paying for progress, not just a shoulder to cry on. At BenzoFree, I've always stated that if you wish to taper from your medication, to do so under the supervision of a licensed physician. While I am not in any way belittling the difficulty it may be for some to find a doctor like that, I still stand by that statement. I believe a doctor is critical to this process, not only for prescribing the right dosages for a taper, but also for helping with tests and diagnoses that so often can create confusion and worry. If your current medical provider won't work with you and you choose to taper, then please try to find one who will. Number three, build a partnership. One of the hard truths 
that many of us face during our discovery phase of benzodependence is that doctors are not infallible. Now, I never thought they were actually infallible, but I was surprised how little they really knew about benzos and proper withdrawal techniques. I learned some hard truths during my withdrawal, and I said the following about this learning process in my book, Benzo Free. I am responsible for my health. No one else. It's my brain, my body, and I'm in charge. I now approach my relationships with medical professionals as that of a partnership. Sure, my doctor knows a lot more about medicine than I ever will, but she doesn't know everything, and neither does the Internet. While it can be an excellent resource for some medical information, it's also full of inaccuracies, hype, and biased personal accounts. Common sense is critical. I learned to be a partner with my doctor instead of a submissive patient. I now have a say in what happens to me. If I don't like a prescription, I may get a second opinion or a third. I may even suggest an alternative. I'll never take another prescribed medication without doing my own thorough research. Little has changed since I wrote that in my book a couple years ago. Looking at the relationship with your doctor as that of a partnership is an intelligent and balanced approach, and one several other organizations agree with. From the Alliance's website, I came across their Practitioner Information Pamphlet, PIP, Communication Guide Summary, which was designed by the Alliance for patients to take with them to their first appointment with the doctor when they want to talk about benzodiazepines. The first paragraph on that document started with the following words. Remember your goals to build a partnership with your prescriber. Number four, speak calmly, concisely, and clearly. Benzo withdrawal can be an incredibly emotional trial, as so many of us know. But emotions are not always a friend to clear communication. This is especially true when you speak to doctors. Most doctors are more left-brain, more logical. I, I know I'm stereotyping, and I apologize, but in my experience, it does hold true more times than not. And they usually respond better to logical presentations. If you are too emotional when you are talking with your doctor, your message gets muddled. In fact, the first bullet for communication strategies on the Alliance's PIP Communication Guide Summary we mentioned earlier is keep emotions in check. Now, I'm not saying necessarily suppress your emotions here. Some emotion is okay. It, it lends validity to your message. But too much distracts and may hinder you being taken seriously. And don't forget, your actions can speak louder than words. And your tone and facial expressions can be just as important as what you say. If it's hard for you to talk about this with your doctor, then perhaps you should prepare. Have some things you want to say and, and practice them a few times, so the words are readily available when you have your appointment. And remember that saying the Internet said this or the internet said that, rarely makes your story more believable to most doctors. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a bit. 
As for counselors and family and friends, this is a bit different. Emotions are usually more well-received. Still, everyone is different. Some family and friends may be just as left-brained as doctors and may not be as responsive to your emotions. The main thing to remember is that emotion is important and okay to share with your family and friends and your counselor and, and even your doctor at times. But too much emotion can bury your message. Take the time to know what you are going to say, regardless of the audience, and keep it brief, clear, and to the point. Number five, avoid absolutes. Absolutes turn people away. When it's a doctor, a therapist, or even your best friend, when you enter conversation, you expect a conversation, a, a give and take with two or more viewpoints. If you start a conversation knowing that you are 100% right about something and start off with that fact in your head, you leave little room for actual dialogue. Regardless of how much you have read and studied about benzos, you're wrong about some things. We're all wrong about some things. And I'll guarantee you with all the information about benzos, you and I and everyone out there is wrong about some of the facts or information or studies or treatment protocols. Even if you are an expert in benzodiazepines, acting as if you know everything in the conversation rarely helps your message. Nowhere is this more important than in the doctor's office. Some doctors see a new patient every seven minutes on average, and each of those patients is complaining about one thing or another, and many of them have been online, looked up their problem on the internet, and are glad to share with the doctor what they think is wrong. And as you can imagine, they often don't get the response that they wanted. Yes, as most of us know, the number of physicians who believe that benzodiazepines can cause dependency and know how to handle a slow taper are few and far between right now. That is an unfortunate fact, which we are trying to change, but it takes time. But in the meantime, thousands of people who want to taper from their benzos still want to talk with their doctor and, and ask for help in doing so. Here are two scenarios. Let me know which one you think might work better in the doctor's office. The first one goes like this. Look, doctor, you got me hooked on Xanax. How could you do this to me? I know what I face from withdrawal. It is going to be a nightmare. I'll lose my job, probably my marriage, and have seizures, hallucinations, even brain damage. And that's just the beginning. I read story after story about how horrible withdrawal is. So I know what I am talking about. You got me on these, you get me off. You need to taper me off these now. And then just for good measure, you could always add, and then I'll be calling my lawyer. Because, you know, let's face it, nothing causes sympathy for a patient from a doctor more than the threat of a lawsuit. Okay, so that one was a little extreme, but I was just trying to make a point. Let's try scenario number two. Hi, Doc. I, I came in today because I'm, I'm frightened, and, and I need your help. I've been doing some research lately and learned some things about long-term use of Xanax. It looks like there is some risk of dependency with this drug and that withdrawal can be extreme, even disabling for some. 
Now, I realize that not everyone who takes Xanax long-term will experience withdrawal complications, but still, I think I'd rather be safe than sorry. I have researched various medical studies on slow tapering techniques, and I brought some of them with me in case you were interested in reading them. I don't want to be on this medication anymore, and I was wondering if you could help me with my taper. Now, if you were a doctor, which approach (laughs) would you be more tempted to listen to? Now, these are very brief examples and not meant to be used as a template for how to talk to your doc. But there are some. If you want a template for how to hold this conversation, please check out the PIP communication guide summary from the Alliance that I mentioned earlier. They have an excellent suggestion for a dialogue with a doctor. You can find a link for that in our show notes. Number six, bring literature. In the previous tip, when I shared that last dialogue with a doctor, I said that I brought something with me that I could share. Why is that important, you ask? Well, I'll tell you. Much like the last one, I'm going to focus a little bit more on talking to your doctor here than the rest, but a lot of it carries over. Doctors listen to other doctors more than non-doctors. And as Dr. Christy Huff said when we had her on as a guest, they don't always listen to other doctors who are patients either, unless they are in the same specialty as they are. It may not seem fair, but it's true. Either way, most doctors are scientists and trust science and other doctors in their branch of science. They trust these people more than the average layperson like me and probably you, regardless of how many internet sites we have read. So it's important to back up the information we share during that doctor visit with solid information from solid sources. So bringing one or two items to leave with your doctor at that appointment so they can look at that at a later time can be valuable. I've added several links to some of these documents in our show notes, but I want to mention just a few here to, you know, whet your appetite. Let's start with the Alliance. The Alliance for Benzodiazepine Best Practices has a few documents that are very helpful. One is an article from Dr. Jane L. Violet, which I quoted earlier, titled, How to Generate Productive Conversations with Your Prescriber. Another is the PIP Communication Study Guide that I also referenced in this feature. And there are a few others. On Benzodiazepine Information Coalition, BIC's website, they have all kinds of printable brochures and one-sheets on withdrawing from benzos, how to find a doctor, tapering strategies, guidelines for prescribers to help patients by Dr. Huff, and more. And WBAD is also full of great printable literature, including a professional's guide for as-prescribed BZD dependence, posters on benzodiazepines for bulletin boards, benzodiazepines in the elderly, and a guideline for therapists and counselors for treating benzodiazepine withdrawal, which would be great to take with you to your counselor appointment. And we also have a few from other sites, like the article from Dr. Alan Francis that I've talked about several times in this podcast titled, Yes, Benzos Are Bad From You. And of course, even though it's a bit long for a leave behind, the ever-classic Ashton Manual. Hard to go wrong with the classics. All of these links are in our show notes, and I will be adding all of them to the website too in the coming weeks. But for now, check out our show notes. I think you're going to find some of the things you are looking for. 
And number seven, our last one, is step into their shoes. One of the best secrets, although it's not really a secret at all, for communicating effectively is to step into the shoes of the other person. The more you understand the person on the other side of the conversation, the more you can relate to her or him. This is important if your audience is your doctor, therapist, spouse or partner, child, parent, friend, boss, or dog. I don't care. According to Dr. Jane L. Violet, Associate Professor of Communication Studies at USC Beaufort, tailoring your message to a prescriber's way of thinking and communicating is of paramount importance. Simply talking to prescribers is not the same as communicating with them. Initiating authentic, effective communication with your prescriber first requires that you understand who they are, how they think, and how they are trained to interact with patients. She went on to say in the article, Prescribers generally think and respond in precise scientific terms and in ways that reflect the learned protocols of their medical educations, not in terms of feelings or context. It's also important to note that most prescribers are on the clock when they are talking to you. And the longer they listen, the more they are getting backed up. It's not favorable conditions for such a sensitive topic, but it is a fact of modern-day healthcare. And your doctor is not the only one you need to understand. When you talk with family and friends, you need to remember that they most likely will be or already are your caregivers too. And that is a huge ask of anyone. Have compassion and understanding, even if the initial response from your loved ones is that of disbelief. Try to put yourself in their shoes. What would you say if somebody in your life came to you with all these bizarre symptoms that seem completely unrelated and said it was all due to the medication that you've been taking, even though your doctor said it wasn't? Try to step in the shoes of the person that you're having the conversation with. Give them time to come around and work with them to help them understand. Going through this alone is never an easy journey. You need support. You need people around you. So spend a little time trying to understand them so you can keep them around. And that wraps up our feature. I hope these tips were helpful to you. Let me know what you thought about them. And don't forget that there are links in our show notes to all these things I talked about, as I said several times throughout the feature, but I just wanted to remind you. And before we get to our moment of peace, please bear with me for about 30 seconds for our disclaimer. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice nor any other kind of personal professional services. The views and opinions expressed by our listeners and interview guests on this podcast, whether read from textual submissions or presented in their own voice, do not necessarily reflect those of the Benson Free Podcast or of its host. Withdrawal tapering or any other change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, or any other prescription drugs should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our moment of peace. It's just one minute, and it's an opportunity to quiet your mind a bit before you return to the chaos of the real world. 
please remember that you should only do this if you are in a safe place. Where you can close your eyes, relax, and let the world pass by without you for a minute. Meditation is not a religious practice in of itself, but it is often practiced in partnership with a person's individual belief system, where it can be combined with prayer or scripture as they choose. Last week we returned to the Buddhist practice of Tonglen for a bit of sending and receiving. Today we will return to one of the key mantras in monotheistic religions, and that is, let go, let God. This is a wonderfully delightful phrase, since it allows God to take our burdens from us, so we no longer have to worry. If you do not believe in a supreme being, then feel free to substitute your own mantra for today's practice. Let's get started. Close your eyes and relax. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly. Let's do that again. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly along with all the stress of the day. One more time. Take a deep breath in. Hold it for a second and let it out slowly, relaxing your entire body. Now just breathe slowly and naturally. And repeat the mantra to yourself. Let go, let God. If your mind wanders, just gently bring it back to your mantra. No judgment. Continue to do this for one minute.
next episode is episode 59 and it will be released next Wednesday. Thank you for joining me today and please let us know how we did. Keep calm, taper slowly, and take care of yourself. I'll see you next time.